Praise the Lord. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 17. I've been teaching on the subject of healing. We've already covered a lot of material. And I've shared with you some of the things that the Lord has spoken to me that have been the most important things in my life concerning me walking in healing. And I've said this a number of times, but I hadn't got this all figured out. I hadn't arrived, but I've left. I know I'm on the right path. I'm seeing great things happen. Lots of miracles happen. Here in the 17th chapter of the book of Matthew, the first few verses are where Jesus took three of his disciples and went up to a mountain and he was transfigured before them and he began to radiate and show light. And then a cloud came over and an audible voice from God came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son. And then Elijah and Moses appeared and began to talk with Jesus about his death and resurrection that would be happening soon. And so that's what took place in the first part of the chapter. And the rest of the disciples of Jesus were left down at the foot of the mountain. And while they were gone, a man brought his son to Jesus for healing. And uh, the scripture says here that he was lunatic and there was a demon in him that was uh, causing these problems. Most people believe that this was some type of epilepsy or seizures that this boy was having. And so anyway, that's the background of this. And so in Matthew chapter 17, it says, um, what verse is this? Verse 14, when they were come down to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes he falls into the fire and often into the water, and i brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. Before I get into the answer to all of this, look at Jesus' response when he found out that his disciples could not cure this boy. Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Did you know when you start talking about miracles and healings and things like this today, one of the criticisms that you're going to get every time, I don't know how many of you have tried to share this with other people, but if you start trying to share that it is God's will to heal and that miracles take place, somebody's going to come to you and say, so you're criticizing people that don't walk in the supernatural. And you're going to sit there and they're going to make it sound like that you are a mean person and that you're critical and uh, that you are offending people and these are good people and how dare you do this. And they're saying that you ought to be patient and kind and merciful to people and things like this. Well, just look at how Jesus responded when his disciples were unable to meet this need. He didn't say, guys, I'm sorry. I should have been here for you. This was a lot to ask of you. It's my fault. Don't you feel bad? Don't, don't feel bad about this. He turned around and he says, you faithless and perverse generation. How long am I going to be with you? In other words, I'm trying to train you guys so that you can do this. I'm about to leave. I'm about to turn this over to you. And you can't even handle things. You know what, if Jesus was here in his physical body in ministry here on this earth today, based on this scripture and other scriptures, I don't believe Jesus would be pleased with our inability to walk in healing and to manifest his power. I don't believe he's angry at us. Praise God for grace. He's borne our sins, but it would be disappointing. He would be disappointed. The scripture talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit of God whereby you are sealed. And I believe it grieves God to see our inability. 
You know, I could spend a lot of time on this. Let me just say it. I won't go turn to scriptures to verify it. But Jesus used miracles to draw the crowd. Jesus even said in Mark chapter 2, so that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then turned he to the sick of the palsy and raised him up and he was healed. Jesus used miracles to validate things. In the uh, 10th chapter of the book of John, he says, the works that I do, they testify of me. And then he says, I have even greater testimony than John the Baptist and that's the works that God has given me. There's a number of times that he said that. Hebrews chapter 2 says that the Son of God, a man who is approved by signs and wonders and miracles. If Jesus had to have miracles to validate who he was, and he was the Son of God, and he spoke like no other man ever spoke, if anybody was ever anointed, if his words were ever anointed, it was Jesus. And yet Jesus said, don't just trust my words, look at my works. The works that I do testify. And all of those scriptures that I've quoted talk about how Jesus used miracles to validate his power and authority. If Jesus needed his power and authority validated, who in the world do we think we are today that we could just stand up there and the world is going to fall at our feet because we say words? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The body of Christ needs to be demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a whole, it is not doing it. Matter of fact, if you were to go to the average pastor... And if you had an incurable disease and if you went to the average church and says, you know, I'm coming for prayer, the average pastor would say, well, have you been to the doctor? What kind of medication are you on? The average church wouldn't accept responsibility for ministering healing to you. They would send you to the doctors. I'm not against doctors. I got Dr. Bird down here. He's on my board and he's one of the leading surgeons in Shreveport. I'm not against doctors, but man, give them a break. Amen. We've got the Lord and we are supposed to be walking in supernatural power and authority and yet the average pastor today, if you came and says, I want to be healed, they would say, well, go to the doctor. Do everything that the doctor says first. If a person comes with financial problems, the average pastor would say, well, have you been to this government agency? Have you applied for this help? Have you tried, up, tried out for welfare? Have you done all of these things? If, if, the average person, if you go to the average pastor with psychological problems, emotional problems, they'd say, well, have you tried this drug? Have you been to this psychologist? No wonder the world isn't coming to the church any more than they are because the church has basically said all we're good for is eternity. It doesn't work in everyday life. You can't really depend upon God. That's what the average church is preaching. I can guarantee you in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, I grew up here. The average person here believes that there's a God. And yet they aren't living in agreement with God. You know why? Because they see God as something you have to deal with before you die so that you won't go to hell. But they don't believe that you can get healed. They don't believe in the uh, supernatural provision in your finances. They don't believe for emotional deliverance. And, and so most people, they believe that there's a God and they want to get right with Him before they die. But they don't really see the need in this life because... The church isn't presenting it. I guarantee you, Jesus told us we were supposed to go heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. And if we were operating in the supernatural power of God, I guarantee you there would be a lot more people knocking on the door of the church wanting help if we were relevant to people's needs. And we are the only thing that is relevant. And we just aren't using what we've got. This isn't optional. Jesus says when he found out that they weren't able to meet the needs of this 
Boy, he said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. And brothers and sisters, again, I'm speaking to the cream of the crop. Here it is, Saturday night. You're out here in a hotel listening to a guy talk. You're the fanatics. I'm not mad at you. But you know what? Even in this room, I can guarantee you the vast majority of us are unable to do what God told us to do. There are people at your work who are sick, who are poor, who are traumatized, who are hurting, and you aren't able to meet their needs. You are able. You've got the power, but you aren't using it. You haven't renewed your mind. And I guarantee you, Jesus wouldn't be pleased with that. The Lord wants us to get to where we walk in the power of God. He wants to get to where, you know, you're alive. Others are dead. There ought to be a difference. And and yet I can guarantee you that there are people that you work with that if they found out that you were at a meeting on a Saturday night listening to a preacher and you were a fanatic, they would be shocked. They have no clue. Something's wrong with this picture. We ought to be a witness for the Lord. And I'm not even going to get onto this other thing because I'll preach on it. But there is a great truth from here that I could really be making right now. In the next verse, Jesus rebuked, or excuse me, did I skip some verses? He said, bring him hither to me. I tell you what, let's turn over to Mark chapter 9 and read the rest of this. This same thing is recorded in Mark chapter 9 and it gives a little bit more detail. In Mark chapter 9, he says in verse 16, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And they brought him unto him. They brought the boy unto Jesus. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? You know what Jesus was doing here is when somebody has had something a long time, a physical problem, it not only becomes a physical problem, it becomes a mental, emotional problem. Sickness gets into your thinking. And the longer you have something, the deeper rooted it gets in your way of thinking. And so the Lord was asking how long he had had it, and the Father said, of a child. And in verse 22 he says, And oft times... It hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now this father had had faith. That's the reason he brought his son to Jesus. But after the disciples had tried to cast this demon out and it wasn't going, and now he was brought to Jesus and yet it looked like it was getting worse. The boy fell on the ground and things looked like they were getting worse instead of better. The father's faith was beginning to falter And he says, if you can do anything. And basically, he just threw this all over on the Lord. Like, let's see what you can do. And how did Jesus respond to that? In verse 23, Jesus said unto him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believes. Well, there's a great lesson in this. I taught taught on this. I've mentioned it already in this series. But in Mark chapter 6, Jesus could do no mighty work save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk. Mark chapter 6, verse 5. It didn't say he wouldn't do it. It said he couldn't do it. Unbelief of other people stopped even Jesus. Jesus needed people to believe and cooperate. And Jesus wasn't about to accept full responsibility for this miracle. When the guy said, if you can do anything, do it. 
Most of us would have jumped up and says, all right, I can do this and I'm going to believe and I'm strong. But Jesus, who is, of course, the greatest example that we've ever had, he was operating perfectly. He says, no, you have to believe if you can believe. Jesus wasn't about to accept total responsibility. There's a great lesson in that. You can't accept total responsibility for another person. And you know what? Sometimes people look like they're saying and doing the right thing, but you don't know what's going on in their heart. You cannot accept total responsibility for another person and get them healed off of your faith. You can help them, but you just can't do it for them. I remember a man who looked like he was doing everything right. He was confessing the word, I'm healed in Jesus' name. He was strong and it looked great. But I was going over to see him on a daily basis and the Lord just spoke to me and he says, he's quit in his heart. He's going to die. And usually I was in there and when he would start saying something, I'd just jump in with him and I'd start agreeing and stuff and I really wasn't listening. But after the Lord spoke that to me, I went in that day and I just, I didn't say much. I just let him talk. And he started off, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. Praise God, I'm getting better every day. And it sounded good, but I let him talk. And you know, if you let people talk, you find out what's in their heart. And in a very short period of time, he began to start expressing, man, I'm tired. You know, I'm going to go to be with the Lord. I think I'm, I'm just ready to go. I don't know if I want to fight. And so I told his wife that day, I didn't say anything to him, but I went to his wife and I said, you know what, the Lord spoke to me. He's quit and given up. And I said, it, there's no disgrace. I mean, he's going to go be with the Lord and he's fought a good fight. It's like being on the front lines and getting shot. I said, it's not a disgrace, but the guy's ready to quit. And I said, you, you might ought to just figure about instead of trying to stand and believe for healing. Maybe you ought to just enjoy your last days together and you know that he's going to be with the Lord and just really make the most of it. Boy, she got offended. How dare you say that? He's healed by his stripes. By the stripes of Jesus, he's healed. And she jumped on me like a chicken on a June bug. So I just walked out. Anyway, he died within a month or something like that. And everybody was devastated. and Nobody could understand why this man died. And at his... Uh, right after his funeral, they looked at his diary and on that exact day he had written in his diary, he says, I quit. And he says, I'm going to go ahead and confess because other people won't understand. But he says, I'm going to go be with the Lord. And he wrote it down in his diary for people to see after he was dead. You don't know what's going on in another person. You can't sit there and assume responsibility. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to accept 100% responsibility if you can believe. You've got to believe. And this man said in verse um, 24, he says, Straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. I'm going to come back to that in a minute and make a point out of that. In verse 25, when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. You know, when some people get sick, what they do is call everybody and their dog. They call every prayer chain. They call everybody and they ask everybody to pray and they amass hundreds or thousands of people praying. Jesus, when he saw the crowd coming together, he figured, I better get this done right now or the unbelief of all of this crowd is going to stop this. And so he cast that demon out quick. One of the worst things you can do is when you're in a crisis situation is tell everybody about it and ask them to pray for you because the vast majority of people are going to pray unbelief. Boy, there's some great lessons to learn right here. So back in Matthew chapter 17, it says in verse 18, 
And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? Now, there is a, there's a lot in that question. You've got to remember this. The 10th chapter of the book of Matthew, Jesus gave his disciples authority and power over all sickness, over all disease to cast them out. Told them to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, and raise the dead. And they went out and did it. And when they came back, they didn't have any questions. Like, God, it didn't work. Why didn't we see everybody healed? They never said that. Instead, they came back rejoicing, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us. The very fact that they didn't ask a question implies that they had seen 100% success. And so these men had already been casting out devils and seeing people healed. And so when they said, why couldn't we cast them out? This is really significant. You know, today, if you were to go to the average Christian and say, why aren't you seeing the dead raised, blind eyes open?" Well, they wouldn't have any question because they say, well, we don't believe it. God doesn't do those things. Or I, I can't do that kind of stuff. They aren't asking these questions. For the very, the very fact that these disciples said, why couldn't we cast them out, means that they believed they had authority. They had seen success in the past, and yet this time it didn't work. And they wanted to know why. Now, that's really significant because these, these aren't unbelievers asking this. These are believers that had had success in this area, and yet this time they didn't see the demon come out. And so they said, why couldn't we cast him out? Let me just ask you, let me put a question to you. Why isn't everybody healed? You know what the number one answer to that would probably be among people who believe that it is God's will to heal the number one answer would probably be, well, you don't have any faith. And you know what? That is one option. If you don't believe, you won't receive. Even Jesus, I was sharing out of Mark chapter 9, told that father, you have to believe. All things are possible. He wasn't going to sit there and pray for his son and minister to his son if he couldn't believe. So faith is important, and that is one option. And if you aren't believing, well, then it's true. You aren't going to get healed. But you know what? That's not what Jesus told the disciples. They said, why couldn't we cast them out? And look at his answer here in the 20th verse. If you can get this, this is going to change your life. This will help you tremendously. Jesus answered and said, because of your unbelief. Some people think, well, that's the same thing. If you've got unbelief, that means you aren't believing. No. Remember over in the other... Uh, account of this in Mark chapter 9, the father says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus didn't say, oh, now wait a minute. If you've got unbelief, then you aren't believing. He didn't try and correct his theology. If you'll go over to the fifth chapter of the book of Mark, you find that when Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, that as he was going, a messenger came and said, don't trouble the master anymore. Your little girl is dead. And Jesus said, only believe. Why would he tell you to only believe? Because you can believe and disbelieve at the same time. That's why he told that father when he says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. He didn't correct his theology. It's true. You can believe and disbelieve at the same time. Most people today think that if there is any doubt in your life, then you aren't really in faith. 
And that's not true. You can believe and yet have unbelief at the same time. And Jesus said the reason you couldn't cast this demon out was because of your unbelief. They believed it was God's will. They believed that Jesus had given them the power. That faith had seen results in the past, but this time they had unbelief mixed with that. And you know, I'm not trying to criticize another version of the Bible. If you're reading the Bible, man, praise God, go for it. But I just can't let this go, that the NIV here translates, it's because of your little faith, which is totally missing the, the point. Because the rest of this verse goes on to say, he says, it's because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. What he's saying is, it doesn't take huge faith. It doesn't take this gigantic faith. All you need is a mustard seed amount of faith. And if you have faith and don't doubt, then that tiny bit of faith is enough to see a mountain cast into the sea. See, the point that he's making is you don't need huge faith. You just need a tiny bit of faith. And so therefore, if he says it's because of your little faith, and then he went on to say because, if you only have faith like this, see, that would be contradictory. That doesn't make sense. He's not talking about that they had little faith. He's talking about that they had unbelief that was mixed with their faith. And then the 21st verse is totally missing in the NIV. They took it out. They didn't even print it. You ought to get you a real Bible. You ought to get you one that works, amen. I'm not against the NIV, but it is wrong in this instance. And so he said, here's the deal. Here's what I'm trying to get across tonight. Most people think that, oh, if I just had enough faith. I've seen, I've heard this question asked so many times. People say, oh, increase our faith. The 17th chapter of the book of John, Jesus' disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. How did Jesus respond to that? He said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could say to this sycamine tree, be plucked up from the roots and cast into the sea. He responded the same way he did right here. Basically, he says, guys, you don't need big faith. You're a little bit of faith, a tiny amount of faith. If you've ever seen a mustard seed, if I was holding a mustard seed up here tonight, you couldn't even see it between my fingers. It's one of the smallest seeds that there is. It's, it's tiny. And he's saying if you have tiny little bitty faith, it's enough to see a miracle happen. If it isn't counterbalanced with unbelief, if it was pure, a tiny bit of faith is enough to do anything if you didn't have any doubt and unbelief that was negating your faith. And then he went on to say, this is in Luke chapter 17, after he had said that about if your faith is only this big, he says, how many of you have a servant that when your servant's out working and then you come in, you, have, you tell him, oh, you're tired, sit down and take care of yourself and I'll, I'll feed myself. No, you tell your servant, a slave, you've been working all day, but you work and you serve me and after you finish all of your duties, then you can take care of yourself. The point that he's making is, you know what? You aren't using what you've got. You, you've got all of this faith and you aren't using it. You're letting faith be like a couch potato. You're letting your uh, unbelief counterbalance it. That's the point that he's making. And so here's a point I want to get across. And if you can get this, it'll change your life. A tiny bit of faith. And again, I say those of you who come out here on a Saturday night have faith. You believe that there is more than just the nod to God crowd on Sunday morning. 
You are seeking God more than the average person. You've got faith. And when I talk about miracles, seeing my son raised from the dead or somebody else, most of you believe that. That's the reason that you're here. We had hundreds of people raise their hand that they were healed this week. Most of you believe in that. That is enough faith for you to see the dead raised. You do not have a faith deficit. You have the faith of the Son of God, Romans chapter 12, verse 3. You have the measure. You've got faith. You don't have a faith problem. You know what you got is an unbelief problem. And... Imagine that I have this weight in front of me. If you took a horse and hooked that horse up to this weight, that horse would be able to exert enough power to drag that weight and to move it. But if you had a horse of equal strength hooked up to the other side, pulling in the opposite direction, even though there was tremendous amount of energy being uh, expensed, the net effect on that weight would be zero because they counterbalance each other. This is what the Lord is saying. You've got faith. But the problem is we've got unbelief over here that negates our faith, counterbalances it. It's like tea. It gets diluted when you put it in water and it, gets, uh, it, it loses its strength. If you just had faith, if you didn't doubt, like Jesus told Jairus, believe only. Don't doubt. Don't listen to this negative report. Don't start thinking about your daughter being dead. Believe only. If you could believe only, if you didn't have any thoughts, feelings, emotions contrary, then you know what? A tiny bit of faith is enough to see people raised from the dead. The very first man that I saw raised from the dead, it was a setup. And God really did it in a way that would help me to see this miracle. Because I'd been praying for this guy. It's a long story, but for weeks I'd been going over. The guy was paralyzed, wasn't able to move. He had gotten up. He was able to stand. He was beginning to move. We had just seen miracle after miracle after miracle, little by little by little, and I'd put a lot of time into this guy. I was getting ready to start a service. This is when I was pastoring a church in Pritchett, Colorado, and I had my guitar on, and I was just getting ready to sing, and his son came to the door and waved for me. So I went over there. And uh, he just grabbed me, guitar and all, and put me in his car. There's only 144 people in the whole town, so it didn't take long to get over to his father's house. And I thought, oh, man, his father's had some crisis, and I didn't even think anything negative. I wasn't thinking any thoughts of unbelief. I just thought he had another pain, and they were going to want me to pray for it. I got over there, and when I got there, the sheriff was there trying to get his oxygen mask out and all of his emergency stuff, and he was fumbling around. He had never done it, and he didn't know what he was doing. And I walked in and looked, and I saw the man laid back in a chair, and his wife was sitting there and says, Oh, God, bring Everett back from the dead. And when she said that's the first time it dawned on me that this guy had died. If, if I would have heard about it, and it only took two minutes to get from the church over to this guy's house, in those two minutes, I probably would have had more than enough unbelief that would have kept my faith from working. But I just walked in totally innocent. I didn't know what was happening. I walked in, and when she says, Oh, God, bring Everett back from the dead, I just said, In the name of Jesus, Everett, stand up, sit up. And he just opened up his eyes and sat right up. We nearly had to raise the sheriff from the dead. And you know what? I mean, it was, just, it was just that simple. There was nothing to it. If you would have told me, though, two minutes, if you'd have given me two minutes to think about it, my unbelief would have kept my faith from working. But I just didn't, I didn't even think anything. I just heard and I said, in the name of Jesus, sit up. And he sat up. 
Your faith is sufficient if you didn't have all of this other stuff counterbalancing your faith. Where does this unbelief come from? Look at this down in the next verse. In verse 21, he says, How be it this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Now, traditionally, people say, well, this is talking about this kind of demon. I want you to know that there is no demon that won't respond to the name of Jesus and faith in his name. There aren't demons that it takes more than the name of Jesus and you've got to pray and fast to get them out. That is wrong, wrong, wrong. That is not what this is talking about. This isn't saying that this kind of demon is stronger and it takes more to get it out. The subject is unbelief. It was unbelief that hindered them. And this kind of unbelief only comes out by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting doesn't affect the devil and it doesn't affect God. Prayer and fasting affects your unbelief. And it says this kind of unbelief. Now, I, I don't have a scripture to stand on for this. This is andeology. But in my study, I have found that there's like three major categories of unbelief. One, unbelief comes through ignorance. If you don't know the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if you haven't heard the word, well, then your ignorance is just going to make you automatically have unbelief. Like before I heard about the baptism of the Holy Spirit... I didn't have faith for the Holy Spirit. I had unbelief. And when I first heard of speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, there was automatically a resistance because I hadn't heard about it and there was unbelief, disbelief about it. And uh, it took a while for me to renew my mind before I could receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. That's one way that unbelief comes. A second type of unbelief is what I call disbelief. It's not ignorance. It's you've been taught against something. You actually have faith in the opposite direction. Like there are some people that have been taught against speaking in tongues and stuff. Now, it's, e it's easier to reach a person that doesn't have the right knowledge about speaking in tongues. And so they have an ignorance, uh, an unbelief that comes through ignorance. Or if you want to be politically correct, they have an unbelief that comes through um, lack of knowledge. Amen. Some people don't like the way I say ignorance but it's just stupid, amen? You just don't know the truth. There are some people that just, they have unbelief because they don't know what the Word says, but then there's other people that have unbelief because they've been taught against it and taught that this is of the devil and miracles passed away with the apostles. It's harder to reach people that have been taught wrong. That's a second type of unbelief. And basically, the answer is the same for both of those. You tell a person the truth. If they haven't heard the truth, well, then the truth will set them free and they'll begin to start believing. If they have heard the, a lie, you tell them the truth. And if they will receive the truth, well, then they will begin to open up and start seeing. And that will also counter unbelief that comes through wrong doctrine. But then there is a third type of unbelief. And this is what I believe Jesus was talking about. And that's what I call natural unbelief. You just naturally don't believe in things that you can't see. You naturally tend to believe what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel more than what you believe, you know, in the, because of the Word says it. We've all been raised to just go by what you see. You've been trained that way from the time you were old enough to think. You've been taught that what you feel is real. 
And natural things are real. We haven't been taught that there is a spiritual world and that there is a God who exists and that there are things going on in the unseen realm. We haven't been taught that. And so there is this natural type of unbelief just because of our five senses. And what happened, if you put this Matthew 17 together with Mark chapter 9 and you read both of these accounts, when this boy was brought to Jesus, this demon tore him. He fell on the ground. He wallowed and foamed at the mouth. I don't know if you've ever seen anybody have a seizure, but it can be scary. I remember when I was in high school, I was in choir and we were doing a a program for our graduation and the girl right in front of me, we went to church together and I think that that's the reason she turned around to me, but she started having an epileptic seizure And she turned around and looked at me and was shaking, bit her tongue, foamed at the mouth, fell into my arms during that thing. And I tell you what, I was about 17, 18 years old. It scared the liver out of me. I didn't know what was happening. It was, it affects you when you see something like that. And so this demon, when this boy was brought to the disciples, it doesn't say this, but it happened with Jesus. I'm assuming that it happened with the disciples. I believe that when this boy was brought to Jesus, even though they had cast demons out before, even though they had seen people healed, this time there was an opposite manifestation from what they were praying for. And you know what I believe happened? They were just more controlled by what they saw than they were by what Jesus said. It was what I call natural unbelief. And they said, why couldn't we cast him out? Jesus is saying it's your unbelief. It's just this natural unbelief. You prayed for deliverance and instead the guy fell on the ground and began to convulse and foam. And because of that, they got into fear thinking, well, he's not healed. Man, this is where so many people miss it. So many people pray, and if they could just instantly see everything perfect, and if there was nothing to the contrary, then their little mustard seed amount of faith would be enough to see any healing come to pass. But I talked to a man tonight who came up to me and said that, I forget the details now, but for months he's been believing for healing. He had cancer. He quit all of his treatments, and he's been getting better and better and better, and everything was going really good. And then when he came to this meeting, he says he's had pain like he hadn't had in six months or something. And he was a little confused. And I said, you know, and I use this example that when Jesus cast demons out, they got worse. I said, this is like your faith is working. Here you are coming to a place where we're talking about healing. And you know what it is? It's Satan throwing everything at you. It's his last hurrah. He's trying to get you to be moved by what you feel instead of what you believe. I said, I would just continue to praise God and say, man, I've been getting better every day for six months. This is the devil's last throw and you ought to be thrilled. Actually, when I pray for people, if things get worse, that's good. Because the devil would love to stay under the radar. He would like to just stay there and work unseen. For, but when you start putting faith out and all of a sudden everything gets worse, that means he's been fleshed out into the open. He's taking everything he's planned at you for six months and throwing it at you, trying to get you to back up. And if you have this natural type of unbelief where you are just dominated by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel, then that unbelief will negate your faith and keep you from receiving. How do you get rid of this natural type of unbelief? Well, it says it's by much prayer and fasting. Why does prayer and fasting affect unbelief? Think about this. When you're praying, you're talking to someone that you can't see. 
You're talking to him. And if you're praying properly, he's talking to you. You're hearing God speak to you. You're in communion with someone that you can't see. There isn't any physical proof. You know what you're doing? You're training your senses, your five senses, that there is more than what you can see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You know, I could get plumb off the subject. I'm not going to do this. I just want to say this quickly, that when the Lord created us, I don't believe He created us with only five senses. I believe He created us with six senses. And one of those senses was faith. When Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the evening, they were walking by faith. I don't know that they ever saw Him or heard Him with their physical ears, but they were perceiving Him by faith. And when they sinned, you know what happened? It says their eyes were open. Well, their eyes were open before. They weren't walking around with their eyes closed. What does it mean when it says their eyes were open? It means that their spiritual eyes of their heart closed and they started being dominated by what they saw. And you know the first thing that they observed? They were naked. Do you know they were naked before they sinned? Some people say, oh no, they were clothed with the glory of God and clothed in righteousness and we make these spiritual applications out of it. But the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, the last verse, they were both naked. (laughs) So you can say whatever you want to and you can draw spiritual examples from it. But they were naked. And they were naked before they sinned. But you know what? They were so in the spirit... They were walking in the Spirit so much they had never noticed that they were naked. They had never noticed each other. That's hard for us to wrap our brains around because we are so carnal and we think so much in the natural realm that we just, we can't even imagine this. But I believe that when God created us, we were more in the Spirit than we were in the flesh. And when Adam and Eve sinned is when their carnal senses begin to come alive. The way that we lived where most of us, well, I know that the Bible says I'm healed, but I don't feel it. And we just feel trapped. How can you believe something that you can't feel? God originally made man to walk more by faith than by sight. This is what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. Most Christians walk by sight and not by faith. And so you can, you can activate this faith. You can train yourself that there is more than what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. You know one of the ways to do that? You spend a lot of time in prayer. You talk to God and have Him talk to you. And then you start experiencing miracles. And you know what? Your five senses, they aren't evil in themselves. They just have to be trained. The scripture talks about in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 14 that strong meat belongs to those who by reason of use have exercised their senses to discern both good and evil. Your senses have to be exercised. They have to be trained. And you can train them to recognize more than just this physical realm. So if you pray and talk to God and God speaks to you, like I could give you a hundred examples easily, real quickly, of where God spoke things to me. I I acted on it and it came to pass. After a while, your senses get to recognizing that there are things going on that you can't see, taste, hear, smell, or feel. And then when you pray for something and see something in the natural, you aren't limited to just, well, I can't believe because I can't see. No, you've trained yourself. You've exercised yourself that there's more. And you can go beyond 
that carnal sense knowledge part of you into faith. And see, fasting does the same thing. Fasting is denying yourself. The way most people fast, it doesn't do any good because most people think that God isn't going to answer their prayers for whatever reason. God's not wanting to answer your prayer. But if you will fast, right, as you are wasting away and about the time you're about to die and you're so weak you can hardly lift your hand, for whatever reason, God is going to be moved with pity and mercy and this will make God move. That's what most people do. They use Fasting like something to motivate God. Fasting doesn't affect God. Fasting affects your unbelief. If you have been carnal, if you are dominated by your senses so that if you don't feel it, you don't do it, you know what you begin to do? You begin to start saying, man does not live by bread alone. There is more to this life than the physical, natural realm. And so you know what? I'm going to fast. And when you start fasting, your body, if you've been carnal, if you've been controlled by your senses, your sense of appetite is one of your strongest senses. People have cannibalized each other to try and satisfy their hunger. Hunger drives people. And it's probably the sense that is the quickest or the easiest to get upset. So when you go to fasting... I guarantee you, there's some of you that by the noon, the first day, you're feeling weak. You got a headache. You're, you're woozy. And you're like, oh, God, I'm dying. When the truth is, you aren't dying by noon on the first day. <laughs> you can actually go a day per week, and it's healthy for you. It helps cleanse your body. It doesn't hurt you. You can actually go 40 days before your body begins to start cannibalizing itself. And, and some of us could go much more than 40 days. <laughs> Fasting, you aren't going to die by noon the first day. I can guarantee you it's not going to happen. But your body will make you think, oh, I'm dying and you're just so miserable. You know what you're doing? You're denying this appetite, this flesh, your sense of taste. And your body says, feed me, feed me. And you say, no, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And you start denying your flesh. And your flesh says, I'm going to die. I'll never make it to sundown. And you say, well, then we're going to go two days. And you say, two days, I'll never make it. I'll be dead for sure. All right, three days. And you know what? Your flesh will begin to start saying, if I'm going to survive this, I better shut up. Amen. I better submit. And if you go on a fast, I don't know if you've ever been on a prolonged fast, but after two to three days, you literally get to the place where you lose your hunger. You aren't hungry after two or three days. And you get to where it doesn't matter whether you eat or not. Now, you need to eat because that's the way God made us. But I mean, you get to where you break the control of this hunger. And then if your flesh, if you do something and your flesh rebels at it, and you say, flesh in the name of Jesus, get in line. Your flesh will remember that fast. And that flesh will say, yes, sir. <laughs> but there are some of you that if you were to pray and say, I command you body to quit hurting, pain, leave my body. Your body's going to say, who are you to tell me anything? I have told you when to eat, what to eat, how much to eat. And your body will rebel and you'll say, in the name of Jesus, I'm healed. And your body will say, liar, liar, pants on fire. It's not true, amen. Your body will just, and you'll get so much unbelief that it'll overwhelm your little mustard seed amount of faith. But you know what? Through prayer and fasting, you can deny this flesh 
And you can get to the place to where your, your body, you, you pray for something and say you're healed and your body says, well, I still feel pain. And you say, look, I said we're healed. And your body will go, oh, oh I, I, I know what this is. This is that sixth sense. That's that faith. I've seen it. I've seen miracles. And so this must be something that's happening in the spiritual realm that's beyond my ability to perceive. And your flesh will get out of the way and you'll be able to operate in faith. But very few Christians live a devoted life to God. They indulge their flesh. You watch things that you know aren't good for you and you allow it. You feed yourself with junk. I'm not talking about just physically. I'm talking about emotionally, mentally. You dwell on all of this stuff. We indulge the flesh. We don't deny ourselves. Paul said that I keep under my body, lest while I've preached to others, I myself am a castaway. Did you know if you were going to have the results that Jesus had here, you were going to have to live a life of prayer and fasting to be able to overcome natural unbelief to where you get to a point that when God tells you to do something, you don't sit there and your flesh just doesn't raise up. You know, right now the Lord is leading me to this property and we're going to start building and I don't know what it's going to cost, but I can guarantee you I'm going to spend $30 million if I spend a penny. And you know what? That's a lot of money. And in the natural realm, my flesh would just, ah, like you can't do this. What are you doing? But I have believed God for 41 years. I've seen God come through supernaturally. I've seen it happen so many times that my flesh now, it doesn't even bother me over this. Did you know the 30 million or whatever it is that we need, that's not as big a deal as 3.2 million was for the last building that I had. And I saw that come to pass. And because I've exercised myself, because I've walked in it, I have zero, zero problems with this. I've been awake a lot of nights, but not because I'm worrying about finances. It's because I'm so excited. I'm dreaming and drawing and thinking about how things are going to work. But I haven't lost a single night's sleep over the finances. You know why? Because I've trained my flesh and my flesh has seen God come through so many times. I just don't have any problems with this. It is not an issue with me. It has been decades since I've prayed and asked God for money. And I'm not praying and asking God for money now. I know God's going to supply it. And you know what? I've trained myself. You can get to a place to where your flesh doesn't always rebel at God. You can have your senses exercised to discern both good and evil. But you can't do it living a carnal life. You can't do it watching as the stomach turns on the television. If you're going to know every stat of all of the sports, if you're going to know every movie so that you win every trivial pursuit things, you are going to have, you are going to have natural unbelief. You are going to be plugged into this world. And you know what? I've, um, I mean, I just missed about 40 years. I just don't know very much. Jamie and I, our staff sent us on a cruise this summer. And it was great. We went on this cruise. It was not one of these huge cruise ships. It only held 102 people, and we only had 52 people, and we had 25 staff. So we nearly had one staff per person. It was really nice. We enjoyed it. It was super nice. But the bad part of it was when you went in to eat with people, I just, I don't know anything outside of the Bible. I just, it's like I have missed 41 years. 
One night they were talking about what's your favorite drink and they went around what everybody's favorite drink was and I heard about Harvey Wall Bangers <laughs> and things that I didn't even know what they were and then they come around to me. What's your favorite drink? I've never taken a drink of liquor in my life. You've never had a beer? I've never had a beer and end of conversation. It just killed it. We just sat there and looked at each other. Another night they're talking about how many times everybody been married. Jamie and I hadn't been married multiple times. That kind of killed it. And then one night I did, get to, I did get to tell them about my son being raised from the dead. And they asked a couple of questions and then that killed. I mean, I just don't know anything outside of the Bible. I, I'm just... You know, we used to play Trivial Pursuit with Jamie's parents, David and Glenna, her sister and brother-in-law. They would come, we'd play Trivial Pursuit, the guys against the girls. And I'd just sit there. I just don't know anything outside of the Bible. I don't know any of this stuff. And one time we were playing and I just said, Father, I want to give an answer. I want to participate. I asked God to give me a word of knowledge. And so this next Trivial Pursuit thing that came up was what magazine debuted April the 1st, 1953? And everybody was stumped, and I knew the answer. It was a word of knowledge. It was Playboy. The only question I answered all night long was when Playboy came out, and everybody thought, yeah, yeah. You got to be careful when you pray for a word of knowledge, amen. But you know what? I just don't know very much outside of the Bible. I miss stuff. When you go to talking sports, I don't know sports. I don't know movies. I just don't know very much. But you know what? I've seen my son raised from the dead. I've seen multiple people raised from the dead. I've seen a lot of miracles happen. I can believe God for money. I can do things that the average person can't, and I'm convinced that a very large part of it is because I have limited the natural unbelief by my focus on the Lord. If you're gonna, I may be out of balance, but if you're going to be out of balance, that's the side to be out of balance on. Smith Wigglesworth saw multiple people raised from the dead, saw great miracles happen, and Smith Wigglesworth had Lester Summerall come knock on his door, and, and Lester had a newspaper under his arm. And he said, Mr. Wigglesworth, could I come in and visit with you? And he says, you can come in, but that paper is going to stay out. He wouldn't allow a newspaper in his house because of the doubt and the unbelief. And this was in the early 1900s. You know what? I believe that there's some good things in newspapers. I've read things out of newspapers. I've cut articles out to preach from and use as an example. I believe that in 35 years of ministry, Smith Wigglesworth probably missed a dozen or two dozen good things in the newspaper. But he probably missed 150,000 bad things that would have hindered him and hardened his heart towards the Lord. And that's the reason that he saw such great miracles. Brothers and sisters, our culture is not a godly culture. The things that are on TV are not godly. The books that all of the 
ungodly people are reading are not godly. And if you are going to be just like everybody else, and if you're going to know everything that they know, and if you're going to watch what they watch, same garbage in that they put in, you're going to get the same garbage out. And you are going to be that if you pray for somebody and if they fall over and wallow and foam at the mouth and look like it didn't work, you won't be able to overcome this natural unbelief. Because you've indulged your emotions and you've just fed them and you've never denied them. If you are going to really see the power of God manifest, you're going to have to get stronger than horseradish. You are going to have to commit yourself to God. You are going to have to fast and pray. You're going to have to be in the presence of God. And you're going to have to deny your flesh. You're going to have to tell your flesh that I am not going to live by bread alone. I'm not going to indulge every emotion. You need to discipline yourself. And you know what? There's not very many Christians who are willing to do that. Most Christians would love to have the results, but you don't want to do what it takes to get that result. You don't want to exercise your senses to discern good and evil. But this is a great truth right here. There are many of you that you believe the power of God. You believe it. And you know that you have faith. And that's the reason that you're so confused because you know you believe. You do believe. It's just all of this ton of unbelief that you allow in that counterbalances your faith. You know, if you had two thermometers here, like these mercury thermometers that one measured faith and the other measured unbelief, if you had this much faith down here, then most people, what they do is think, what I've got to do is get other people to agree with me to overcome this amount of unbelief. And so they go and get a prayer chain and people pool their faith And you get cumulative faith to be able to overcome this unbelief. That's one way to deal with the problem. And you have to have hundreds or thousands of people agreeing with you to overcome the doubt and the unbelief that's in your life. You know, another way to do it is just pull the plug on this unbelief. You get that unbelief down to where you have zero unbelief and a little tiny mustard seed amount of faith is enough to see the people raised from the dead, to see blind eyes open, deaf ears open. If all you did was only believe and not disbelieve, you would see awesome miracles. But we've got so much unbelief. The average person, if you get sick, if something happens, you'll go to the doctor and you'll want the doctor to pronounce over you the worst case, what's the worst thing that could happen. And you get the doctor to dump all of this negative information in you. Then you go on the internet and you look it up and you research it and you find out how long I should be living. And you spend four or five days and you accumulate this huge mound of unbelief. And then you come back and say, Father, I'm going to believe you. And you wonder why it's so hard to believe. Abraham, when God told him that he was going to have a child, in Romans chapter 4, it says, Abraham considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, nor yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't take into account the deadness of his body. He didn't think about the fact, I'm 99 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. How are we going to have a child? He didn't do that. Most of us would have gone to the doctor and gotten a test. See if I can still have a child. Then we would go on the internet and say, what's the oldest that a person ever was when a person... And we would accumulate this mound of unbelief and then we'll say, God, are you sure that this is you? And he says, yes, you're going to have a child. And then you say, why is it so hard to believe? It's because of all of this unbelief that we've got piled up. We listen to... Man, if you watch television, I bet you two-thirds of all of the commercials 
or uh, sickness related, talking about this disease and this pill and this kind of stuff. And you just are bombarded with sickness, sickness, sickness all of the time. And then you wonder, well, I know that it's God's will to heal. Why is it so hard for me to believe? Because you listen to all of this junk. The scripture says in uh, Isaiah 54, 17, it says, No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, thus saith the Lord. That's saying that no weapon formed against you is going to prosper, and then it talks about words. Words are weapons. And it says these words won't prosper, and the words that come against you, you shall condemn. You know how you stop the unbelief of this world from affecting you? You condemn it. You reject it. Just like Alan and Debbie talked about when he was healed of that uh, stroke and they gave their testimony. When was that? Friday morning? And this miraculous testimony over here, man, they stood against when the doctor says that he's going to do this and this and this and he'll never live. Man, they stood and they said no and they rejected that. When you hear something that is contrary to faith, you have to condemn it. You have to speak against it. You have to say no in the name of Jesus. You ask Jamie, when we're driving along and they say it's flu season, has everybody gotten your H1N1 flu shot yet? You'll hear me say, no, thank you, Jesus. There is no season when the Word of God doesn't work and when I get sick. You have to condemn those words. And some of you think, oh, I think that's really extreme. That's the reason you get sick. I've only been sick one time in 41 years, and that's because I preached 40 times one week, and the next week I preached 42 times, and I just wore myself out. I am human. But you know what? Other than that, I have walked in supernatural health. I have not gotten sick. I don't believe in getting sick. Some of you, you can't live that way. Why not? Because you watch TV and you listen to everybody else talk about how that you, you have to get sick every year and it's flu season and it's cold season. There is no season where the Word of God doesn't work. And some of you think, well, I don't believe that. That's the reason you get sick. Amen or oh man. I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not mad at you. You can be sick and go to heaven and you can get there quicker. Amen. God's not mad at you if you get sick, but I'm saying that we've got the power and the authority to walk in supernatural health, but we are so laden down with unbelief that it counterbalances our faith. If you're born again, you've got the faith to see the dead raised. But you've got to get rid of unbelief. You've got to stand against things. You've got to quit watching things where you just watch people waste away and die and you relate to them and, well, after all, we're only human. I'm not only human. One third of me is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. I don't expect only human results. I'm expecting supernatural results. Amen. I tell you, if you've understood what I was talking about, this is just a small portion of my teaching on hardness of heart. You ought to get that book or or CD set on hardness of heart. And it would really, really help you. But I'm telling you that God has given us what we need to prosper. And He is not pleased with our inability to walk in health. 
And again, I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm saying right here. I'm not mad at you, but I pity people that just are hooked into medicine. Medicine will mess your body up. There may be some good that it does, but I guarantee you it does a lot of damage. God didn't make you to run your life by a pill. And yet most people are just, it's like they, they have no control. It's just like they take whatever. I'm telling you, you, you need to get well. And with national health care coming, boy, you need to learn how to be well. Because you aren't. My good friend, Dr. Bird down here, we were having lunch today, and he says that there is a shortage of doctors, and it's going to be worse and worse. And he says it will be a shortage of, he says we are going to have national health care and no health. No health care providers. It's not going to work. We are headed for a train wreck. You better learn how to believe God. Leave the doctors for the people that don't know God. Amen. You need to walk in health. And the good news is you've got the faith. If we just got rid of all of the unbelief, if you quit looking at yourself like I'm only human, you aren't only human. One third of you is wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. You ought to go to expecting miraculous results. I tell you, I pray that what I've shared this week has helped you in the area of healing. And if you would take these teachings, you know, we've, um, within five minutes of the close of the service, they'll have CDs and DVDs of this entire conference done. You ought to take these. You ought to go home. You ought to meditate on this. I can promise you the things that I've shared are some of the most important things that God ever showed me. And they're working in my life. And if you would take these things and meditate on it, I mean to the exclusion of missing your favorite unbelief show. (laughs) And if you would substitute this and begin to focus on the Word instead of focusing on all of these other things that draw unbelief into your life, it would make a difference and you'd begin to start seeing different results. You could be healed. But it's going to take some effort on your part. You cannot live the life that the average American lives and walk in supernatural healing and victory. It doesn't work. It's an ungodly lifestyle. It doesn't mean that it's terrible. It's not necessarily sin. It's just carnal. And if you're carnal, you aren't going to walk in the supernatural power of God. You need to renew yourself. You need to get into the presence of God. You need to turn something off and focus on God. And if you'll do that, it'll, it'll make a difference in your life. Isn't that simple? Praise God. You know, the very first step is that you need to be born again. If you aren't born again, it's impossible for you not to have natural unbelief because you are only natural. There, you aren't born again. There's not a part of you that was born from above. All you are is physical, natural. When a person gets born again, you literally receive a supernatural part. You, get, you become a new creature and part of you is identical to Jesus, has His power and His anointing in your life. So if you've never experienced salvation, you need to be born again. That's the very first step. And then if you are born again, Jesus told His disciples that you will receive power, dunamis, supernatural, miracle-working power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You do not receive this supernatural power just at salvation. 
There is a separate experience. And see, I can prove it to you in the scripture where the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you receive supernatural power. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that you are going to be able to deny your flesh and get over this natural type of unbelief. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes speaking in tongues, I guarantee you that that's necessary. You don't have to have it to go to heaven, but you have to have it to really walk in the victory that the Lord intended for you here on this earth. So every person in here needs these two things without exception. You need to be born again, and you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues. There's other gifts. There's more to it than speaking in tongues, but that is a part of it, and it's something that you ought to receive right away. If you haven't received that, if you don't speak in tongues, you know, I'd like to pray with you and help you to receive this and get started. This is absolutely the minimum requirement for walking in the power of God. Is there anybody here like this that needs either to receive salvation or you need to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues? If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand so I could pray with you. Anybody? Here's somebody over here. Anybody else? Here's another one. We've already had like 150 or more people. Here's two, three, four more over here. Tune it to go because this is minimum. Everybody needs this. Everybody. You know, I know that there's many of you thinking, well, boy, I'm not sure about all of this. Well, I am. I'm absolutely sure. And you're thinking, well, I need time to think about it. Look what you're thinking about it has gotten you. You know what? If the Holy Spirit has dealt with you tonight, you need to respond to this. We aren't asking you to join a church. I hadn't got a church for you, for you to join. I'm going to give you a free book. You got nothing to lose. You got everything to gain. You know, if you raised your hand or if you were supposed to raise your hand but didn't do it, would you just get up out of your seat, come forward. We want to pray with you and help you to receive from the Lord. Just come forward right now. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Isn't this good? Boy, this changed my life. I believe it's going to do the same for you. I believe God is going to just release power into your life that you have never had before. Anybody else? Anybody else? You know, the Lord's speaking to me that there's still some of you sitting out there and you aren't sure about this. This is strange to you. And yet God has spoken to you tonight. If you like the fruit... If you like what you're hearing and you, the testimonies that I'm giving, I'm telling you that the root of that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can't accept the fruit without the root. So whether this is new to you or not, if you aren't sure, I encourage you to come up here. We aren't going to do anything bad to you. All we're going to do is pray for you and help you. The very worst thing that could happen is that you come forward and nothing happens. That would be the worst. But you know what? You could come forward, and if you believe God, you could receive the greatest gift that God's got to give. Wouldn't that be awesome? You got nothing to lose. You ought to be down here. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I knew there were some of you holding out. Before you can receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, 
and speak in tongues. The Bible says Jesus is the one who gives the Holy Spirit. So you have to receive the giver before you receive the gift. You need to make sure that you're born again. And there's a lot of people that just suppose they're born again. They hope they're born again. They believe that Jesus existed. Isn't that enough? No, the Bible says that even the devil believes and trembles at the name of God. But you got to do something that the devil has never done. And that is you got to make Jesus your Lord. You have to make a commitment of your life. You have to really trust in him. Is there anybody here who's not absolutely sure whether or not you've made Jesus your Lord? Anybody? If that's you, I need you to raise your hand so that I can pray with you. You've got to receive Jesus first. Anybody? Are all of you here absolutely certain you're born again? Amen? Well, good. I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but you just got to be sure. Amen? All right, so all of you are already born again. Then according to the Word of God, the Scripture says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God created you so that He could put His Holy Spirit inside of you. So this is what God wants. It's His will. You don't have to wonder, will God do it? Some churches will teach that you got to get rid of all problems in your life. You can't have any sin. You can't have any problems. You got to be holy before you can receive the Holy Spirit. But you can't get holy without the Holy Spirit. You need power. If you've got a problem in your life, don't let Satan convince you that God won't give you the Holy Spirit. If you've got problems in your life, God wants to give you the Holy Spirit to give you power to be able to overcome it. So don't let any sense of unworthiness keep you from believing that God is going to give this to you. He said that if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? All you got to do is ask. He wants to give it to you more than you want to receive. So we're just going to ask one time. We aren't going to beg. We're going to believe that God wants to give every one of you the Holy Spirit. And we're just going to ask. And then I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come up here. And these are people that are all born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they are going to lay hands on you because the Bible says through the laying on of hands that the Holy Spirit was given. So we're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. And then I'm going to ask you to quit praying and asking for the Holy Spirit and instead start thanking God that you got it. Don't go by how you feel. Put into practice what I was talking about. Use that sixth sense of faith. Don't let natural unbelief stop you from receiving this just because you haven't felt something. You got to operate in faith. You got to believe the promise. He says that if you ask, you will receive. And so we're going to ask, they're going to lay hands on you, and then I want you to start thanking God that you have the Holy Spirit. And at that time, after they lay hands on you and we start thanking God, I want you to start praising Him to lift up your hands like this because the Bible says when you lift up your hands, you bless the Lord. It's your way of surrendering. It's like when somebody sticks a gun in your back and you go, I surrender, I yield. We're going to ask. They're going to lay hands on you. We're going to start thanking God, lifting your hands. And then those of us that know how to pray in tongues are going to pray in tongues. Because the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14, 17, that when you pray in tongues, you're giving thanks. So we're going to start thanking God in this language that is praising God. And as we start praying in tongues, I want you to join in with us. You can start speaking in tongues. 
Some of you think, well, does everybody speak in tongues? Everybody that receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, God gives you the gift of speaking in tongues. It's like a pair of tennis shoes. When you get them, they all come with tongues. Amen. God's going to give every one of you this gift of speaking in tongues. But He's not going to take your mouth and make it talk. You have to speak. It's you talking. Acts 2, 4 says, They spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. You have to talk. And the number one problem that people that come forward to receive the Holy Spirit have is they just want to God to take them and force them to speak in tongues. That's not how it happens. You speak and by faith believe it's God. And you know, at first you'll be listening to yourself and thinking about it and you'll think, well, I'm not sure this is a real language and that's, that's a stumbling block. And it may not sound good at first, but it's, because, it's just like a little baby when they start talking. They don't speak good English. They talk baby talk. You may, it may sound silly to you, but God's listening to your heart. You just keep speaking and as you use it, you'll get to where you can speak fluently in tongues. And I've got a book that's going to explain the whole thing. I hadn't got more time to share with you, but that's what we're going to do. Everybody ready? Y'all going to speak in tongues? The Bible says that believers will speak with new tongues. I want you to say, I'm a believer. I will speak in tongues. Amen. I believe that. Father, we thank you for all of these. Thank you that they are born again, that they've already received the greatest gift and that they are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, Father, we just open up the doors of our temple. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come into our lives. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, there's some of you that have been just empty. Right here is the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Here's the love of God. The Holy Spirit's bringing the love of God unto you. Father, we just receive this. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We receive you into our lives. We receive your power right now in Jesus' name. Now we lay hands on you and say, Receive the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. We loose this power and anointing into your body right now in Jesus' mighty name. We loose the power of God. Receive the Holy Spirit now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Boy, there's the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now let's lift your hands and start thanking God that you have the Holy Spirit. Don't ask for it anymore. Thank Him that His Word is true and that He's come and filled you with the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank You for giving us the Holy Spirit. We believe that from this moment on, we are God-possessed. That Your anointing, that Your power right resides within us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you, Father, that we have received this power from on high. Now, those of you that know how to pray in tongues, start praying in tongues right now and worship the Lord. And as we speak in tongues, you can speak with us. You can speak. If you don't know what to say, you can try and say what you hear the person behind you saying. But your tongue's going to be different. It, it won't come out the same as theirs, but you've got to talk you got to start speaking. You can't talk in tongues with your mouth closed. you got to open your mouth. You can't talk in tongues in English at the same time. Man, there's many of these speaking in tongues. God wouldn't give some of them the Holy Spirit and not others. He gave you the power of the Holy Spirit.
Every one of you have the power of the Holy Spirit. You just need to speak. Let's just worship the Lord. Praise God. The Bible says you're praying in tongues. You're giving thanks. Sister, the anointing of God is just healing you. Hurts and pains are being gone right now. There's the anointing of God flowing through you. Grief is coming off of you. Thank you, Jesus. Fear is coming off of you right now in the name of Jesus. Loose her and let her go. There's the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we receive your power flowing towards every one of these right now. Be bold. Talk loud enough that you can hear yourself. Be bold with it. Quit listening to yourself and instead communicate with God. Recognize that God loves this. You're bypassing your brain. You're bypassing the doubt in your mind. You're talking straight out of your born-again spirit without the unbelief, without the fear, without the doubt. You may not understand, but boy, you're speaking mysteries. The Holy Spirit is speaking supernatural things through you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let me have your attention here for just a minute. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But you know what? I want you to get the full impact of what happened. And most of you don't know what's really happened. You know, you may have felt something. Sometimes people feel a lot when they receive the Holy Spirit. When I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I didn't feel a thing. But you know what? I believed. I got it. And I'm telling you that this baptism of the Holy Spirit is is probably the single most important thing that has happened in my life outside of being born again. This is really powerful. And even if you didn't speak in tongues, I believe God gave you the Holy Spirit. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit before I spoke in tongues. It took me three years to speak in tongues, but that's because I was a Baptist. And I had so much fear and unbelief about it. I was just afraid that it was going to be the devil make me talk in tongues. And it took a while for me to renew my mind. But I've written all of this stuff down in a book. I've explained it. I can share with you how to speak in tongues. And whether or not you spoke in tongues tonight, I believe that you asked, God gave. And all you got to do is just let this flow out of you. So I want to give every one of you a book. We want you to get the maximum benefit out of this. I tell you, this will change your life if you really take advantage of what God did. So Ashley right here, he's got his hand in the air. He's going to take you to a room and give you a book. Also, there's going to be people there to pray with you if you have any questions and things like that. We want you to get the full benefit. So if you would, just follow Ashley and get this book. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If you would, just go this way and follow the crowd down there and, uh, and get that book. Praise the Lord. You know, again, I want to thank all of these prayer ministers. It would have been impossible for me to pray with as many people as what we've prayed with. And these people are just full of the Lord. 
Many of them are Bible college students. And you know what? They're just itching for a chance to lay hands on somebody and pray for them. And we've been seeing good things happen. And I want to thank all of you that have helped us. That's a blessing. I really appreciate it. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I had a man come up to me tonight and show me your card, Michael, and say that Michael prayed with him. And he says it was the greatest prayer that he has ever had in his life that God used Michael. You know, it's awesome to see other people. It's not a one-man show. It's the body of Christ. And I love this. I love seeing multiple people stand up here and pray and release the power of God. So if you need prayer tonight, I want to ask you to come forward and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. Remember that we have CDs and DVDs of the entire weekend available out there, and I encourage you to get them. Also, what I taught on tonight is the end teaching in the Hardness of Heart series. If you would get that, it would really make a difference in your life. If you need prayer, just get up out of your seat right now and come forward and let one of our prayer ministers pray for you. We're going to have people standing at the aisles and direct you towards a prayer minister so that you won't all go to just one side. And if you will follow their direction, it'll help us to get everybody through here quicker. The rest of you, thank you for coming. Praise God. I believe that this word is going to change your life. Amen. You're dismissed if you desire to be so. Praise the Lord. If any of you are out of town and visiting, I'm going to be over at Calvary Cathedral in Fort Worth tomorrow with my good friends, Bob and Joy Nichols. It's a great church. I'd encourage you to come. We've got maps to it back there on our partner, our our pastor relations table. So if you desire to come, please get one of those maps. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you. And right now, in the name of Jesus, we just release your power. As all of these prayer ministers stand up here and pray for other people, we believe that we have the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And we believe that that power is being released through every one of these prayer ministers right now. Thank you that cancers are being healed. I believe that cancer is dead. Tumors are gone, dissolving, leaving people. We loose the anointing of the Holy Spirit to get rid of cancer and let the life of God come, bring healing to those, whatever was whatever cancer damaged. Father, thank you for healing people. Thank you, Father. There's people here that have foot problems. There's a number of people here that... Uh, you got real severe pain in your feet. I don't know exactly what that's from, but the Lord says he's healing people that have pain in your feet. If you've got pain in your feet, I want you to stand right now and raise your hand so I can see who I'm praying for. And I believe God's going to heal your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I pray for these right now. And in the name of Jesus, I just loose your anointing now to flow towards all of these. And we command these feet to be healed. Receive the healing power of Jesus now. Pain, you leave them. And whatever causes this pain, be gone in them. Right there is the anointing of God. Begin to move around. I believe that there's pain leaving you right now. Here's the anointing of God. Thank you, Jesus. Who in here has already got your pain gone? 
wave at me. Here's people back here. Man, there's three, four, five people. Anybody else? Your pain's already gone. Here's pain. Gone. Isn't that awesome? That was about half a dozen or more of those people that saw the pain leave instantly. And the rest of you, that pain's gone. It's gone in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for that. We agree and receive it. There's a number of people in here that you just have had allergies and things like this. And you just thought this was normal and natural. And when I was speaking tonight, you realized that you have some natural unbelief. You were raised to just accept these things as being normal. And now you're ready to resist that. You're ready to get rid of it. People in here that have had allergies, I want you to stand, raise your hand. I believe God's healing you. Anybody else? If that's you, I want you to stand and we're going to pray and I believe God's going to set you free. You don't have to live that way. God didn't make you to be allergic to stuff. That's not God. You don't have to live that way. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we agree. And right now, we just thank you for the truth. We believe that the truth sets us free. I speak the truth that we do not have to live with allergies. I command allergies to leave now in Jesus' name. Satan, we break your power. We command you to get off of these people now. We refuse to accept allergies. We refuse to accept sensitivities to these things that normal people can tolerate. In the name of Jesus, you loose us and let us go. And Father, I loose your anointing right now to flow through them. And I thank you that you are healing them. And Father, you're bringing their body back to normal. And Father, not only their body, thank you for touching their mind. Thank you for getting this sickness out of their mind that they won't plan on it, that they won't anticipate it with the change of seasons. Father, we just get rid of this natural unbelief. We thank you for speaking to them. And I believe that they are healed and are going to walk free of these allergies in the name of Jesus. Amen. You agree? Praise the Lord. Amen. You know, now one of the important things is you've, you've, embrace this for so long, you're going to have to change the way you think. You're going to have to think differently. But I believe that the healing power of God has come into your body and praise God, you're going to walk free of that in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you. Thank you for all of these people that have been healed this week. Thank you for these that are being healed right now. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the word that's come into our life. And we believe we are going to walk in divine health and that Satan is not going to steal this from us. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Father, we receive this. Somebody here has been short of breath. I don't know what causes this, but you have a breathing problem. It's hard for you to breathe. It's hard for you to exert yourself very much because you run out of breath. If that's you, I want you to stand, raise your hand. Here's the healing power of God coming towards you. Here's some people right here. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Is this you? Anybody else? Praise God. Father, right now for these, in the name of Jesus, I just speak against whatever is causing their shortness of breath. In the name of Jesus, Satan, loose them and let them go. Any damage that's been done to their body, Father, we loose your anointing. And I believe that from the top of their head 
right on down through their feet, through these lungs. We speak healing unto them. I command the heart to begin to work properly and pump that blood. And we believe that, Father, they are breathing and able to do exert themselves without getting short of breath. I loose that anointing. We say we are free now from that in the name of Jesus. And Father, from this moment on, we believe our bodies are recovering and we are going to be able to breathe and do everything normally in the name of Jesus. Amen. You believe that? Praise God. Praise God. I believe that the healing power of God has come into your body. Praise you, Jesus. Father, we agree and we receive it. Thank you, Father. There's people here that you've got hip problems. You've either had a hip replacement or need a hip replacement. Here's the healing power of God coming to you. I believe that God is setting you free. Who's that that has hip problems? If this is you, I want you to stand up and identify yourself. Is that you? Anybody else? Here's another one back here. Anybody else? Father, for these two right now, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you and we release your anointing. Hips in Jesus' name be healed. Thank you, Father. I believe that there was an accident. You did something to damage your hip. Here's the anointing of God flowing towards you right now. Bones that were broken and crushed. I speak healing to them. Father, thank you that that um, ligaments or tendons or whatever that is that needs to be fixed in there, I loose this in Jesus' name. And we believe that you are touching them, that pain is gone. Father, they're able to walk without pain. Thank you for healing coming into their body. Right now, we agree and we receive this. Father, we believe that a miracle is planted in them right now and it's going to work until there is total manifestation. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You believe you receive? Praise the Lord. Praise God. I believe that you are healed. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Father, we just receive this. Father, for everything in here. Father, I believe that people's faith has been quickened. And so right now, we just pray. You know, if you have any need in your body, instead of me just calling them out one at a time, if, you, if your faith has been quickened and you're ready to receive, I want you to stand and raise your hand. And I'm just going to release the anointing of God. And I believe that all of us are going to receive this healing power right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we believe that the same anointing that heals a cold, heals cancer, heals tumors, heals everything. Father, I loose your anointing now to heal all sickness and all disease. Hearts to be healed bodies to be healed, intestinal problems to be healed. Father, we thank you that your anointing is flowing right now through our bodies and we speak healing to us in Jesus' name. Sickness and disease be gone. We receive the healing power of God. Father, right now, we thank you for that power. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Boy, here's the anointing of God. I want you to begin to start thanking God. 
Go by faith. Go by your sixth sense of faith. Don't let what you feel in your body stop you from believing. You believe God right now that the pain is gone, that the problem is healed, that the tumors are gone, that the cancer is dead. Father, we receive your healing power. We thank you that by your stripes we were healed. It's in our body. That your anointing is working, that this physical body is bowing its knee to the power of Jesus. That sickness and disease, infection is gone. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Y'all agree? Thank you, Jesus. Father, we believe that we are healed. We believe that we are healed in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. That's awesome. Well, you know what? I believe that God has changed a lot of people's lives this week. And again, I want to encourage you. There's a scripture that says that when you heard the word, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. I believe that God has really spoken some things to people. And if you will take this as not being just Andrew Womack's word, but it was God speaking through me. If you will take this and meditate on it, I think that this truth is going to not only heal your bodies, but keep you well. And it's going to help you to minister healing to other people. So I encourage you to really take it and let the word of God have its maximum impact in your life. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Thanks for coming. We'll be back next year. In the name of Jesus. Amen. You're dismissed.